Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the show where we talk about shows with our friends. And we have another very special episode today where we have our friends from Dismembering Horror and the Connected Podcast family, Tim and Ryan, joining us once again to talk about about The Last Man on Earth Season 1 finale. Eli, this was your show, and so this is now your podcast. My podcast (laughs) with all... Four of us together again from the season and show pilot episode one uh, to now. It's been quite a journey, and we're so excited to have Tim and Ryan back. Thank you guys Hello. for joining us. Woo woo! Uh, it's a real pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, friends near and far. I'm sure are ready for this because this was quite. A season finale and quite a bow, we'll call it, though, as we unravel it. It's not quite a pretty bow. (laughs) Quite a bow to put on this first season. And especially the journey of our main character, our original last man on Earth, Phil Tandy Miller, uh, (laughs) who now is largely and affectionately known as Tandy. Um, so before we dive into this, um, we thought it would be awesome to have dismembering horror guys here because so many of the things we talked about and themes, uh, about the show and the characters and the way that this is done have really persisted throughout. And I feel like this is a great moment to just really talk about these, uh, overarching themes and what, what becomes of Tandy uh, in this season finale. So uh, before we hear from our special guests, Steve, you have been uh, newly brought into this world and uh, quite a roller coaster of emotions it's been. And I remember at the end of our last podcast episode, Steve was genuinely a little concerned about the plot to kill the new Phil Miller, and just the point that Tandy and Todd had gotten to. So let's dive in right there. Uh, Steve, what did you think heading into this uh, season one finale? Oh, definitely. And it definitely got dark. And I think that's what's sort of cool about our special guests today from Dismembering Horror and getting their perspective later on it. But it absolutely got dark. And Phil's loss of control or Tandy, Phil Tandy Miller, he lost his name. He lost, you know, his wife at first before he kind of, it's revealed that he actually kind of liked her, which is a sort of a new discovery in this season one finale episode that we're talking about. But yeah, just got to this dark, dark place on the couch outside in the street with Todd, who also went to a very dark place and depressive state. And I didn't know where it was going to go. And I was actually quite, as I've been pretty much throughout this first season of watching this show, really surprised at where they kind of, how they set something up and then where they take it. Uh, It's been um, a really fun journey. And this, I felt season one finale was an excellent season one finale for all the season one finales I've seen of different shows. They really uh, did a really good job with completing some season one arcs with a lot of the characters, setting up a lot of really cool stuff if you want to continue watching the show into season two. So what... So right, so the burning question at the end of the last episode, so when they sort of 
declare, we got to kill this guy. And Todd was like, yeah. And then it's, it's just this kind of like murder beat. <laughs> and then it ends. So, so it opens and they're sort of in that same place watching the new Phil Miller as he's building solar panels and just continuing to kind of do important things that are helpful to this new humanity. And, they, and they're very, I, I found that tone continuing continuing the jealousy state to just be super funny and the conversation they were having and the sort of fake aside to oh hey buddy yeah everything's great oh yeah we should just kill this guy and the big reveal was and was really awesome moment was when when phil sort of talks about this idea and phil throughout this season has just talked a big game and hasn't really delivered there's always like a funny device they use of him being like i'm gonna do this and then it's a quick cut to him just on the floor eating potato chips or whatever whatever it is like he's not he's not doing it so he is like yeah we murder him it'll be easy we just drive him out to the desert leave him there done easy and then todd's sort of revelation like hey you drove me to the desert and what I thought was really cool about it really snaps Todd out of his thing that he's been in for a few episodes, this depressive state. And, uh, and it takes the episode off in this really wild turn, which pins old Phil against new Phil. And the only other moment I want to kind of highlight for me, which is my first big out, it might've been the biggest laugh I've had watching this yet was when the new Phil was packing up to leave because he had overheard all the horrible things that Phil was saying about him. And so he didn't want to bro out with him anymore. And he was packing up to leave. And he was like, this should be about Carol. She's a really special lady. And then Phil's response to that was, you're a special lady. (laughs) (laughs) That, to me, was just so funny and absurd. Oh, man. But I I was curious, Ryan, what you thought of, like, the depth and weird sort of dark tone it took. And then the sort of logical reaction of being like, well, he's not going to go through with it. But then the new guy, clearly, he doesn't know that. So he's got to take these extreme measures from his perspective. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if I can answer on the level of detail of just that kind of um, the ins and outs of... um of, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of how you ended the question there. But I can say, yeah, how I felt about that ending overall and the tone that was going on. And I feel like I have to preface this with saying I'm not someone who just uh, turns my nose up at sitcoms like Nilly Willy, Willy Nilly. Like one of my favorite watches uh, in recent years was Fuller House. I'll defend that show. I loved it. (laughs) thought it was so good. Um, But something about that, that light heartedness or that sort of, yeah, silliness, whatever, you know, the appeal is of, of, of those kinds of light sitcoms, like applied to the, yeah, as you said, the really dark story and just dire story here, just that, I don't know, that just doesn't work for me tonally or mesh, or I just don't think is funny. In the end, sorry to respectfully disagree but like yeah when it comes to them deciding to kill new phil miller i don't know i need like something it's it's not like you know uncle jesse ruined becky's surprise party you know it's like i need i need the breaking bad kind of level of character investment uh. to like go to that place for dark humor for me because I don't know, otherwise for this, I was just kind of mad just looking at them as, you know, one note caricatures, which again is is fine in a certain context and I like it. But here I'm just like, really guys, you're going to like kill him out of jealousy? It just totally, and I, I know I shouldn't be reading into the show on that level of depth, but I just can't help it. Maybe it's because I'm just imagining all that could be with this show. I don't know. Anyway, you get the gist of how I was feeling about it. There you go. I do, and I think that's an excellent point because this the series does straddle the line between these dire, intense circumstances and the super funny script tone sort of bits that they do. I found that to be really interesting. Um, and overall, I just thought the the 
way the episode was constructed where it didn't necessarily, I think Phil is a Phil. <laughs> Phil's going to fill, right? Eli's, Eli's mentioned that quite a bit. So mm-hmm. for me as the viewer, I wasn't, it made a lot of sense when people were saying like, he wasn't really going to do it. Or he's like, I wasn't really going to do it. And that's pretty believable. But yeah. in the end, you don't know. It, it definitely helped. They didn't go through with it or whatever, but just like the moment of Todd agreeing and getting excited about it, just all that. I'm just like, I, I don't know. It, it's too much of a cartoon for me at that point. And then when you're watching real people, it, yeah, I don't know. It just, it's just not my thing. Interesting. Do you think, do you feel like that moment, you know, they, they use this phrase in TV, like jumping the shark. Did that make it seem like the whole thing unbelievable to you or just that, that they would go there? Um, yeah. Was that the moment that jumped the shark? I don't know. I think I picked up on, I did watch the whole first season and then (laughs) funny enough, the whole show, um, so I forget kind of when this happened to me, but yeah, at a certain point I just felt like the level of conflict got stuck in this I don't know this this area where yeah it just wasn't wasn't keeping me or grabbing me where it felt like things that could have really easily just been talked out had they just talked like normal people mm. that just we wouldn't have had to waste two episodes and could have gotten to a sort of more interesting what if or situation that would usually only come you know beginning of a season middle of a season and then maybe end of the season Wow. Can I chime in here? Should yeah. please. I that that point you're making, Ryan, is one of the things that I think is really interesting in, especially in TV comedy writing, that it's a super super fine line. Uh, I remember feeling this way about Seinfeld, actually, where the whole show is sort of predicated on people, you know, just being dumb and and absurdly you know, taking a thing a little too far and then like the domino effect of that. But I remember thinking, I don't remember what season it was, but maybe halfway through the show being like everything in the show could be solved with one conversation. And so I think there's this fine line in in TV comedy where you have to, you have to bring the audience like up to that point but still support what's going on with some sort of reason or human element that makes us go, yes, it could be solved with a conversation, but we know why it's not. And like with a show like Seinfeld, I felt like we got to this place where like we know these characters so well and we know that they know each other so well that at a certain point, none of this should be going on. So as a writer, you get into this paradox of like, yeah, but we want to keep, the show going. So what do we do? How do we bridge that gap? And so since I didn't watch the the meat of this show of Last Man on Earth, I I wonder about that type of thing. Like, and I've seen some of the, I guess, complaints online of of, of like what people didn't like about it and not really being able to relate to Tandy Phil because he's like we need to like him, right? Like we need to have a reason to understand why he's doing dumb things. And if you don't have that, you you get in trouble. I think it's a really challenging thing from a, a TV writing standpoint or comedy TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two things I wonder when uh, you got me thinking there. I wondered if for me there's some kind of stylistic jump where I can get on board with sort of these circumstances more when there's a laugh track and it's a three-camera sitcom, if there's some sort of like meshing with the reality of where I have, you know, that's just sort of built into me in a TV language way or maybe I haven't watched enough stuff or whatever that's harder for me to get on board. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That was just a thought I had there, Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if they looked at the event of the virus and the wiping out of humanity as the reason, and they just sort of let that be the tent and then let him kind of run underneath it. I was thinking about that, actually. In a way, 
I mean, I think you could easily make the argument. It's a little more deeply intellectual and almost, well, intellectual and emotional in a way. Prior to us experiencing a pandemic, I feel like the show may have struggled because we don't have a connection to that concept, right? Like that's a huge concept to be like, hey, just so everybody knows, like worldwide pandemic, a lot of people died, like most of them. That's so abstract before we went through a thing that suggested that. But now that we have, I can sit and watch this show and be like, oh, yeah, I, I get exactly why you would do any of this because at this point, all bets are off, man. The world is over. And maybe we can, we can bridge that gap prior to us having that experience, like some people can, but you know, with now, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, why not? Kill the guy, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that actually, yeah, you reminded me just there what the other thing I wanted to say, which is um, the... Yeah, we need some kind of a level that we can, you know, we need some baseline kind of empathy we can get with not just the main character, Phil Tandy, but everyone, ideally, but especially Phil Tandy. And I don't know, I felt like the show, it just kind of set itself up in a weird way where it had like... I'd be curious from, you know, how much they had planned or whatever. It doesn't seem like what I'm going to say is presume they didn't have a lot set up, but it feels like they had this sort of setup that was strong. And then they almost sort of wrote in these moments that were based on, oh, here's uh, let's have the, the guy who shows up in the cool car. And it was a great gag. I liked it when Todd showed up is not who we were visually expecting. And the or same even when Carol makes her appearance. You know, it's almost as if they were written for these jokes, you know, that would just just for a sort of reveal joke. And then the show never quite actually made characters out of them. Like you can see them trying to figure out what to do with Phil even in the first season where they fell into this 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 thing where, okay, his deal is his character is he's a compulsive liar when it comes down just to like getting out of these basic situations, which is kind of what I was referring to when I said if they had just sort of talked about it more. It takes the show a long, long time to get to when you have Melissa or whoever just and all the characters just being like, we know you're lying. I don't know. They finally, finally resolve it. But I don't know, just as far as an episode to episode way, not only is that conflict in itself not engaging me, but it's just, it's making me dislike him because I'm like, just like, dude, it's so obvious here and it's the end of the world. Like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. And it's what he's lying about isn't even like interesting or character revealing really. It's, it's, they make it the fact that he's a liar is his character. So I think it started to lose me at that point. Yeah. I feel like it, it straddles or attempts to straddle too many things in a way. I feel like if it was, um, yeah, sort of, you know, what you were saying with the, like, full-on, over-the-top, you know, three-camera sitcom. Or it could be just completely this, like, post-apocalyptic, psychological, like, what damage would this do to you? And I think there's also, like, kind of another direction, which is, like, there's there's at least, like, more subtle elements that they develop in Phil. And, of course... Ryan and I have seen a bit more of the entire series, and so we do know a bit more of Phil's history. But I kind of pointed out to Steve in an earlier episode that think about what we do know of him pre-pandemic, right? Um, he was a temp. That's what he says his occupation was. And, like, how old is he supposed to be? At least in his 30s, right? So, like... And there's that one flashback of him like at a bar with, you know, celebrating a birthday or something. Um, and his family is pictured there. But every indication we have is, and this is something we actually said in a previous episode, he's kind of like the worst last man on earth in a way. Like he's, he's ill-suited to this uh, accidental mantle in kind of every way. And we get these senses that he's like deeply psychologically damaged from the pandemic, or we get these little sort of glimpses of that. 
And yet we also are getting these very teeny so far glimpses of like, and maybe like pre-pandemic, he wasn't sort of the most cool, calm, collected, resourceful, kind, honest human, right? But they don't clearly go in any one of these sort of two or three directions you could see really leaning into. And so it's sort of dancing between, uh, I think it's almost like closer to, I don't know what this is even called or if it has a name, but the type of comedy where the you know, main character is, is an idiot and you know that, but you're like watching for what idiotic thing they'll do next. So it's sort of most closely that, right? But then we have this weird thing where it's also trying to address the pandemic post-apocalyptic and then also explain these extreme behaviors, especially of Phil's in some way, or not really explain them that much. Uh, maybe we're just supposed to, yeah, the line between what we're supposed to accept as just like this is an absurd comedy or this is TV, suspended disbelief, and like what we're sort of supposed to just assume, well, like this is like some loser who's been alone and thought he was the last man on earth for God knows how many years. Like this is the most just fragile, feeble version of a man you can imagine. And so this all makes sense because this guy is just fucking toast and he wasn't a very like confident, stable guy to begin with. So I think there's all of that and it's just unclear, especially in this first season, sort of where we're going. And then here we're faced with these dark moments just sort of sparked, you know, this whole discussion. And it's like, the way that he confronts Todd and like, oh shit, I just outed that I tried to mm -hmm. kill Todd. The way that that's dealt with both the like dialogue and the acting and the motion, I think that is sort of a, a real like nexus of confusion. It's like, what are we supposed to believe and feel here, right? And it's not, because... It's like hard to believe that he would have killed Todd. It's not that hard to believe that he would have left him in the desert though and then gone back probably later, right? Like, yeah, I think it leaves us a little bit wondering how or why to feel any empathy for Phil. And as like he's almost just completely un, you know, empathizable, if that's even a way to say that, uh, he generally seems to bring himself back, but now in this finale, we just see really the, like, gross depths of it, and there's not a lot redeeming in that. I think yeah. there's yeah. a trick, you know, there's a trick in how you write a character like this, and off the top of my head, I may have mentioned this the last time, but, you know, Don Draper in Mad Men is a pretty despicable dude, right? Like, he's you know, I think that we ostensibly like him because, you know, um, what's the actor's name? Um, John Hamm is charismatic and, like, he's an interesting actor and all of that. But, like, he's he does stuff that you're just like, man, you're just the worst. Like, everything you do and say sucks, like, 95, 98% of the time. But the reason we can get on board with him is because he has a foil that we really, really like, which is, um, I forget the character's name, but his, his initially his secretary, the Elizabeth... Um, Peggy Olson. Yeah, Peggy, thank you. And so in this show, I, I mean, personally, like what I've seen, I don't feel like we have that other person that we can see suffer the consequences of and empathize with in a way that is relatable because Carol, like she, I don't feel like she's relatable at all. Like she's, she's a foil to him only in the sense that she's also super annoying. Yeah. It's right. Almost but, like it's Phil, it's himself. They're trying to make like, it kind of revert back to himself in a weird way. Right. That suffers. becomes really tricky. And so like of, of the other characters that show up too, do we like implicitly care about any of them? Mm. Well, like, are they dimensional enough for that? No, and it was so strange because as the show it goes on, you have um, 
what's her face from Australia. And the show even became like, it was making self-aware jokes that they knew she didn't have much of a character aside from that she was just from Australia. And they'd make <laughs> self-aware jokes about that but not actually do anything for the character. It was the weirdest thing. But I want to say some some nice things to a little offset <laughs> where I've been coming from, which is I did think it we're, worked We're not afraid of, of the we're not afraid of the hard hitting analysis here. That you're right, right. Show, well, by the way, <laughs> I'll get back to that too. Um, but yeah, no, just real quick, where I did think it would work, where you'd have at least a, a joke or a gag per episode that did work for me, that was based on uh, either Phil's or Carol's uh, eccentricities or annoyingness, if you will. Like there'd be some kind of quirk that would be surprising and funny about them that would work in like an in-moment joke uh, way that I, I liked. Um, However, I think I can kind of, I don't know what, yeah, Tim, you going on a bit more there about, uh, yeah, the level that we have to be getting on board these characters with. We're like, and as an example, like go back to his lying thing again, where they made his character about the fact he was a compulsive liar. When for something like that, it should be like he's, I don't know, either it's like a Walter White thing or there's some big lie at the beginning, then they just keep digging themselves deeper and deeper, right? But his, it was just like one moment he's lying about why he didn't, you know, fix the this or that. Or it's just, so then they build a character around that. But what they should have done, or I think good writing does, is like you make that an episode where he learns his lesson, let's say, about it or learns something about it. And then it's on to whatever deeper place that line was coming from manifest itself in some different way. Like there's something more to a person being a compulsive liar like he is than just like that isn't a character, that isn't a personality in itself, you know, or that isn't some deeper psychological thing going on in itself. So rather than just wrapping up this sort of, this very outward trait or thing that he does, they just extended it and extended it as if that could be, and then like try to force it into like, as if that could be a character rather than exploring ever where that was coming from and doing new things with that. That's interesting. And they, one of the devices of comedy, they say is like repetition, right? It's like things happening like over and over and over again. When that happens over a course of a season, it gets sort of, tough to digest but i do want to kind of create a line between something tim said and eli said which is i think the madman is an interesting example or meta you know to use especially because if you think about the pilot of madman they go through the whole pilot and you're just following don draper and he's sleeping with a bohemian girl downtown he's doing a lucky strike pitch he's like madison avenue guy and it's not till the very last shot of that pilot where he goes home and you there's a reveal that he actually has a family and lives in the suburbs and it's just sort of like a whoa and then starts episode two and when i think about what eli said around characters in comedy that are just sort of bumbling fools that you're watching kind of mess up the whole time i made me think first off of of the jerk with Steve Martin, which is sort of one of the um, landmark films of that. But you can take that even further back to like Jerry Lewis and like all these other sort of archetypes. But even the Steve Martin in the jerk was really likable and you really liked him and rooted for him. And I think the challenge here in this series has been this notion of having a main character that you, you don't really like and you're having trouble rooting for and that's been my struggle and what I what I find interesting and I want to ask you guys is in a weird way in this season one finale with him sort of coming to terms in a way for his feelings for Carol and getting all the way booted out and left in the in the desert at the end and then being then rescued by Carol and then her being like all right it's you and me where are we going and I don't know. I found this strange sense of redemption for him. Eli, did you did you experience that as well when watching this? I don't know if it's it like, was. It's like it's yeah. like it's like redemption and not redemption. I, right. It's hard. It's hard to frame it. Like yeah, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I don't know if it was redemption as much as um, I felt like 
And yeah, as we've touched on, some of this is, it's hard to, to see all this clearly because I think they're, who knows how this was developed. Um, and Ryan and I have watched, you know, later seasons. I feel like it starts to really hum and we, we can touch a little later on that. But this first season, they are searching a little, especially with the character development. And what I felt like for me it represented was um, Phil is many things. And one of the things he's definitely is like, he's just still really afraid and guarded. And there are parts of his character that are really identifiable and identifiable with. Overall, he's not like he, that identifiable. To yeah, me. he's but like fake and he's, sketchy. He's fake and he's always lying and you're just like, dude, no, you don't need to do that, right? But there's an aspect of him that he's, it all seems to genuinely come from just his own insecurity and trauma. So there's some humanity and aspect that shines or comes out a little here and there. And I think that moment of like Carol actually coming back for him and to to rescue him, but to actually stay with him, to me was like, oh wow, she she saw that. Like she he actually showed just enough of a crack into his real being and soul. And she saw that. And they do a lot of misdirects, mm-hmm. you know, like Todd showing up. Uh, that we were just talking about or mentioning. And, of course, um, Phil, the new Phil Miller, like everything we think about him based on his physical appearance is often turned on its head. He picks Carol uh, out of the, yeah. all the women are throwing themselves at it. So there's all these misdirects, uh, and yet this is almost like the final like misdirect that's not a misdirect. Like, these two people actually connected, and they actually love each other. And that happened over the course of this first season at some point, and maybe different points for each of them, but they, that actually happened. Like, they connected as humans, and they showed and came to appreciate enough of each other's quirks and foibles and humanity. They actually fell in love during this. Mm, and yeah. Car- yeah, enough for Carol to leave this handsome, you know, new, very useful Phil Miller and literally just abandon everything else to be with him. So that's a pretty yeah. and I don't, amazing, yeah, powerful moment. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't think that Ryan is wrong in anything that he said about sort of some of the issues leading up into this point. And this episode in particular, in your mind, really mess with you because you start to kind of debate attempted murder versus actual murder and and i just wonder if they to me it feels like they did enough with what you're talking about eli between carol coming and and their their souls journey and their love story finally kind of emerging and having a real complete arc in this first season to sort of i don't know for one to overlook all the other issues yeah, you talking about it does remind me. I liked that just enough as far as that first season relationship arc, if you will, where it did, yeah, it did exactly what you'd want, where like they have their big disagreements of like, you know, let's say putting their their marriage down in the contract and uh, everything like that, where you have one, you know, they, they each represent extremes of one argument and then they in the end, see where the other person was coming from, from through going through that conflict, which was great. So I did think that was a sweet moment of her coming at the end and it earned that because of all that. And on top of that, it's exactly what you would want from the show, which is the apocalypse setting driving the characters to sort of feel pressured to reach their higher selves or higher ideals where you think... You know, uh, forgiveness is like a great trait we can aspire to, but maybe without the sort of like, okay, the the pressure of being the last you know handful of people on Earth, uh, it's something you may not feel that pressure to actually um, embody. But we see that happen all here, so I thought all that did come together nicely with their arc, at least. Yeah, and I think one of the things I really felt 
in this first season, and especially rewatching it, I think now for the third time, actually, there is this line between uh, a show such as Breaking Bad, which I actually didn't like uh, pretty strongly because I can't get into a show if I fucking hate the main character. Like, I can get into an anti-hero like the best of them, but if I just literally hate this person, feel there's nothing redeeming, feel they have a negative impact on everyone in their world, I can't get behind that. And we don't have to go on a tangent about other shows, but I think it's a really great thing to compare this to Breaking Bad and Mad Men which is another show that I watched and actually loved. And I find it, even on a rewatch, really hard to hate Don. We can, you know, talk about why, but really I think those are very, like the margin between those archetypes and characters is very thin, but one of them it's just like, fuck this fucking asshole. I don't want to watch him kill everyone. <laughs> I don't want to watch him fucking blow everything up. And this is somewhere in between in a way. And maybe it's like not even that clear um, or as clear from the first season. But I think also just coming back to that sort of point of like this main character and needing to be invested in characters to keep watching, have something that you're rooting for, that you're on the hook for. I honestly think like for me it's less about liking phil and more about just like the capers and what phil's gonna do next especially in this first season like i don't like phil i like i think he's a fucking idiot and asshole i don't (laughs) i wouldn't want to be friends with this dude in like just normal life right like last man on earth totally different situation but like the impression of this this man from this first season that is just fucking awful. Like, he is not a good person. And so I that, think that's clear. My, yeah. And is that, Eli, because this was my question for you, you may have already answered, but, like, when you watched this pre-pandemic, when you watched it for the first time, was that what kind of connected you to this and him and wanting to be on the ride? For me, when I first watched it, and it is such a great point to make that, you know, watching pre- and post-pandemic and... um you know, what that entails and how we're able to go to this place so quickly now with the experience. For me, watching it pre-pandemic, I just thought it was funny, right? Like, <laughs> I because the situation seems, I mean, and this is, what, 2015, and I didn't watch it immediately, so let's say I probably watched this, like, 2017, 2018, like, right before 2019 and 2020, And it still seems so far from our reality that that could happen that I just treated it as kind of over-the-top comedy for this whole first season. And I just thought, like, this is funny. And as they were introducing, you know, new characters and stuff, like, obviously when 90% of the characters are, you know, big-name actors, right, you get the sense, like, oh, this is just going to be this ever-expanding ensemble comedy. Um, so, yeah, I just really, I think, initially took it on that of just, like, this is an absurd comedy and just laughed at what an idiot this guy was. Um, <laughs> yeah, And then and again, it didn't I w- get into a lot of the, you know, more deep or psychological, you know, aspects at that point. Yeah, I wonder if, yeah. like, that has affected me and possibly Ryan, too, if this makes sense for you and Tim. That watching it post-pandemic, it is almost sort of, like, harder to get into more of these wild just just being like oh this is just so funny i'm gonna watch this maybe we're possibly we're more personally invested than we would on a certain level yeah i don't know aside from just some of the visuals and like the pilot and whatnot honestly it's still like so far from like i mean yeah pandemic pandemic but as far as how it actually played out was you know, we are quite reach. Uh, we, we, apocalyptic can be an appropriate word for uh, our world in a lot of senses, but not quite on the level of here, The Walking Dead, whatever. So, Good yeah, point. Good point. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure sort of pre-post our real-life pandemic um, 
how uh, uh, yeah much that would have affected it for me because I was still looking at this as like largely a work of fiction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we talked things. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> one of the things that I wonder about is how you kind of depict or, or not, I guess, but the challenge of having a lead character that's that does do things that are disagreeable, um, I think often a way in for us is to watch that character have to grapple with self-reflection. And they can do it in two different ways, right? Like Don Draper avoids self-reflection, but we see him having to we see him looking at it and turning away, and we find that interesting, right? Um, uh, what's his name in Breaking Bad? Um, what did, uh, Walter White. Walter White. Walter White, we, like, see him stare at it and, like, really, like, hone in on it and have it, like, envelop him. Yeah, like a snowball grow and grow right. and get worse and worse. And so with Phil... I just other I mean I didn't watch this the whole season. So in the first season we only get it for like a like a a moment, right? Uh in the in the should I help Carol turn the water on. And 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 it's more we're watching him make the decision rather than have the self-reflection around it. So I wonder if that's kind of one of the things that's creating this gap that we're feeling where we don't necessarily get to see him have moments of either talking about it or, or internalized self-reflection about what he actually thinks about the world and himself and the, the, the craziness of what's going on around him. Yeah, Tim, yes, yes, yes. And I'll add the other thing to sort of help a character like that is you have to have the characters around them being at the level the audience would be at in reacting up against whatever their uh, less desirable traits are. Yeah, like consequences, right? Like they have to feel consequences in order to have self-reflection in the first place. And if the outside characters aren't doing that, what do you, you, you're left with kind of just floating around. Right. Not even like consequences, but just like awareness. Like just to feel <laughs> sure. like just to feel like the show is on that level we can engage with with if at least everyone else sees how ridiculous whatever this person is doing it actually is. Yeah, and there is a little bit of that yeah, in this say. finale. Um, especially like when the new Phil is, you know, kicking him out. Um, we sort of like scan the crowd and everyone's faces. Uh, really, like, have it sort of written on them. Um, and there there are moments, you know, here and there, um, they make him clean out the, the toilet pool. Um, <laughs> so there are these moments, and I think it's, it's just a little inconsistent. And um, we actually, t we talked last episode about there's some confusing geography, and um, there's just some some stuff where it's unclear if we're in a, a sort of looser suspended reality, suspended disbelief reality, or um, if there was maybe not an exact like grand plan for this first season and how everything would uh, grow and shift and uh, change and characters would develop. There's, um, I think inconsistent is like sort of, fair to say that like there is there are some of these moments and there is um some sense of character development and i think at the very end we we do see even todd is like you know out on him there are consequences um and carol you know makes this move towards him and this you know final moments of them together driving off do start to give us a lot of what we were sort of wanting more of in this season. And so I think it does uh, leave us in a really good enticing place. And then before we spend too much time, because I think we could probably spend another hour just talking about 
these dynamics and uh, the pandemic. Yeah, I do want to make. I, I do want to make sure though, but before we get stuck in that longer, that we touch on the very end because um, it does end with a completely new setting and scene, and it's pretty easy to connect the dots as to who this is. Uh, but we're introduced to Tandy's brother, likely, right? Like. Yeah. There's a very space station. He's actually we know it's him if we're paying really close attention because he's in that flashback scene of Tandy's birthday celebration. But uh we're we're introduced to a spaceman whose spacesuit says Miller, and we have just been told Tandy had a brother. So um it's interesting where it leaves us, and especially in relation to all these things we're talking about right now. Yeah, I didn't it was a great ending it did, with the car, like Ryan mentioned, driving off sort of into the unknown of the apocalyptic world and then the space station and taking it out beyond Earth and actually into space. And there's somebody out there in the sort of duality of those um, loneliness, lonely places. And I did, I did kind of feel like there were some things that would happen and then he would everyone would get mad at him and, and, and he'd have to kind of deal with some consequences. But for Ryan's point, like I don't think any of it stuck with the main character and made any changes, which made it kind of harder to watch in a sort of back and forth kind of vibe throughout this, this first season. Um, and I just wanted to ask Eli about the, the scene where Phil Candy gets tackled by new Phil, right? Like, so, is it safe to assume that like everyone was in on that except for Carol? Cause Todd reveals in his face that he kind of knew it was coming. And then everyone else is kind of like, like singing and smiling, but doesn't have like a big reaction that Carol has. So it's like, was it all planned and Carol was left out? And then maybe that makes more sense why she was willing to just be like, let's just go. Like we're the only ones that are real. We're the only ones that matter. Was that how it landed for you? Yeah, I feel like um, that's the most likely scenario is they um, know that Carol still has a soft spot, and so they kind of duped her into this. Um, right. Yeah, I think so. I think that's how it played. But yeah, that everyone else was in on it because as he comes like sort of wandering out and they're singing, it's like not only leaving on a jet plane, it's just like it's set up. It's like so obvious yeah. that they're setting him up. Um yeah, and, and Todd, Todd can't and Todd can't hold us. Todd's face, face right? yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think so, and I think Carol both felt. I think they they start to show that Carol feels like, uh, you know, New Phil has been too harsh right from that sort of next morning, or I guess it's a couple days later when she and Phil are at the house, and she's kind of worried about if he has food because he's been locked upstairs for. Three days. The, yeah, like I think they know she's she's still got a sweet spot for him. and um, But I don't think, especially New Phil, has a sense that it's that big of a sweet spot, mm. right? Uh, so I think they're yeah. like, yeah, but once we get rid of him, it'll be fine. She has New Phil. You know, like I think they assume she'll be like surprised but okay with it. And that's where... Uh, Someone yeah. calculated wrong. <laughs> New yeah, Phil, totally. I guess. And, and thank <laughs> you for bringing bringing up his brother in the space station because it really was a great way to end season one, going and getting people interested. And in, I mean, I'm interested in what happens to them and <laughs> what's going on with his brother in space and how in the world he gets down from there and then in this current landscape. So, like, I might have to just keep watching the show. I think uh-huh. to at least catch up with Ryan. Because I know he watched the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's been uh, a really fun discussion again. And I know that we could probably continue and dig into all sorts of other things. However, this is a season finale. And that means that Steve and I need to continue shows with friends and pick a new TV series to watch the first season of. And we thought it would be fun for our friends listening 
if we just, before Steve picks the show, we're going to watch next, if maybe Tim and Ryan, just if there's any shows they have been loving or have watched recently and loved, if they'd want to just off the cuff throw out a few for our listeners and us to consider, and if there's something amazing that Steve and I haven't seen, then maybe we'll do that later for Shows with Friends. So uh, no pressure, but uh, just, yeah, throw out a couple uh, shows that y'all have been digging. All right, I'm set with you guys. I have uh, some subcategories here. I'll run through them really quick. I think (laughs) best all-time TV show. Yeah, best all-time anything ever objectively made, I'll argue, is Twin Peaks of the Return. Great, great, great. It's, I think, just like the original Twin Peaks, it is going to, it gives a preview of what media could be like 20, 30 years from now, whatever the new normal is. It's so ahead of its time, I think. And then for Hidden Gem, I want to give a shout out to the Wonder Years reboot. I don't know if it's quite on like the level of the original, but it definitely has had some moments of that same nostalgic, sentimental pathos and it's just fun setting and the cast grows on you. So Hidden Gem level, check that out. And then last, uh, something to mention on a level, since this is a TV, uh, I guess I want to use the word like geek or nerdum, you know, geeking out on this stuff level. Give a shout out to something I watched at the way beginning of the pandemic and kind of ties to Tim and mine's show. Uh, but I shouted out and watched um, Bates Motel, which to speak about it on that geek level, like shows on this, uh, it's an opportunity to do. I think that the first two seasons, you had some really weak B plots and threads. Uh, still, you know, the main main story, pretty great if you're a Psycho fan. But then with the season two finale, it was as if someone came in and called out everything that wasn't working about the show. And then it just like switched on a dime or whatever the phrase would be. And the rest of the show is great, great. So I'm just curious what uh, anyone out there thinking if I'm just the only one and noticing that. But also if you want to watch it, know that going into it, the rest of it, season two finale onward at Bates Motel is gold. Wow, Ryan, thank you. Um, that's <laughs> awesome. And, and a couple of real sort of hidden gems and especially, I think all three I haven't seen, so we can throw those, throw those on the list. Thanks for okay, the opportunity. My turn. Um, all right. Uh, well, what I've been watching lately is a show called Outlander, which is, (laughs) it's like, it's period. Um, but there's a sci-fi element. There's time travel in it. Um, it gets a lot of flack, I think for being like too sexy maybe because there's a lot of sex in it. But it's awesome, and and it's like surprisingly awesome. It's it's like riding that line of melodramatic um, soap opera e, but like has historical, like actual factual references and stuff like that. So it's pretty fun. There's like they're on season six now. Um, a show that I loved over, you know, I've watched it a couple times now, and wish that the, it hadn't ended the way that it ended. They had to short, um, shorten it for whatever reason. Um, was a show called Fringe, which is also sci-fi, um, time travel, other dimensions, stuff like that. And, and it's, you know, initially it comes off as kind of a monster of the week, J.J. Abrams thing, but it, it, it really hones in and all around is a, like a re, very rewatchable show. And lastly, I would say since we were talking about comedies and how to do comedy and sitcom in particular, 22 Minute, um, if you haven't watched or gone back to watch Cheers, watch at least the pilot of Cheers and be reminded as to like what makes great uh sitcom television great because it's quite remarkable the level of writing and joke writing and just character writing is i i mean to date i don't think there really is another sitcom that that sort of reaches that level so for me at least 
those are my three. Very cool. Very cool. I actually rewatched I I think like the first eight seasons of Cheers a couple of years ago and just was really, really funny. Uh doesn't all age well, of course. It's about <laughs> of course. It's about uh a f- you know, we all know what it's about. Uh but it absolutely is just a a, a real tour de force of of writing, acting and yeah, that half hour sitcom. Really funny. Um awesome. Well, those are some really uh great recommendations and uh I could definitely see us uh watching one of these shows here and um yeah, maybe having having y'all on to talk about it again. So uh we will file those, put those on our list, um, and moreover get ready to hear what Steve has to say because uh, today, Steve's going to reveal the immediate next show that we'll watch the shows with friends. So we get a four-person reaction to this one. Also, you guys can join in on whether or not you've seen it. Um, but, of course, don't reveal anything if you have. Wow. There's always a lot of pressure that comes with this part of shows with friends, which is generally just a really fun time where you're watching TV shows with your friends. But we have to pick a show. Spotlight's on you. Now there's witnesses here. There's guests. There's even more pressure for me. So what I did today was I took my big list and I narrowed it down to three. And from a programming standpoint, we just came off a pretty absurd, (laughs) absurd comedy show. Our first major full-blown comedy. So I wanted to go in a different direction. And I was looking at a few different options. And uh, I was tempted to put a a horror... I have one specific horror show on my list because you guys were here, but decided maybe, you know what, let's save that for down the road. Maybe they can join us if they're interested. And I want to take this in a really different direction here for our listeners and for our subject matter. So we always be changing things up and you never know what to expect from shows with friends. So our next show, Eli, you got to tell me if you've seen... From 2020, fairly recent show on HBO called I May Destroy You. No. Okay. And Ryan and Tim, you guys haven't seen this either? Never even heard of it. Okay. So this is a show that came over from the UK. It was created and starring um, this really, really talented actress named Michaela Cole. She had had done a show before and was given kind of carte blanche to do a show on HBO. And she did this show about, wait, I'm not going to say what it's about. (laughs) Um, No spoilers. It's as different (laughs) as it could possibly be from Last Man on Earth. That's all I'll I'll (laughs) say about it. And um, so uh, I... I definitely invite Tim and Ryan to check it out, at least check out the pilot. It was something that brought a lot of attention to a lot of important issues. People were talking about um, pretty specifically came out, I think, during the pandemic. So a lot of people kind of locked in on it and and um, excited to share it with Eli, get his his take on it. We'll see if he wants to continue with it. It's very heavy, but I'm interested. In, I know he can handle handle some... Uh, intense stuff so we'll see what he thinks hell yeah well this is exciting i'm excited to start a new show and i want to let you three know that one of the shows that tim and ryan mentioned is on my list can you believe i was wondering if that was going to happen because i and that it didn't happen for me so i'm glad it happened for you that he had he had one of your shows so it is guaranteed that we will watch at least one of, if not multiple, recommendations or recommendations, as they phrase it. <laughs> Gotta bring it back. We are proud to be network mates on Connected Podcasts with Dismembering Horror and want to give them a big thank you again for joining us, taking the time to talk about a TV show 
out of their busy schedule of watching every horror movie ever. That's what you do, right? You just watch Feels horror like movies, right? That's all you do. Oh. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, y'all. And don't forget to watch the pilot to... I May Destroy You, streaming on HBO Max. We'll be back next time. Thanks a lot, friends. Bye, Thanks, friends. guys. Bye. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we are really excited to be a part of a growing podcast network. It's called Connected Podcasts, and there are many other great shows on the network that we think you are going to enjoy. That's Connected, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, podcasts.com. Thanks for listening.